listening to the Echo Community Church Podcast. We have a passion for being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we hope this podcast inspires you to take another step. Let's join our pastor for today's teaching from the Bible. We're going to continue our study that most of you weren't really enthusiastic about when I rolled out the title a couple weeks ago, but you're, you're warming up to it. We're talking about work, but we're talking about a disciple's work. And uh, we've talked about how common it is as we get to know each other to identify by what we do, especially with guys when we're, when we're starting to talk with each other, small talk, we, we often ask, what kind of work do you do? I had a similar conversation with a, with a friend of mine this past Friday, which is the day I usually reserve for my off day. And every now and again on Fridays, I drive up to Pennsylvania and I go to a farmer's market called Green Dragon. And there's an auction that I love going to there that I've been going to for like five years. Um, and the owner of the auction, the auctioneer, his name is Jordan Wolgamuth. And Jordan is a really cool guy. Grew up in Lancaster County, kind of like I did. And he, uh, he's a good bit younger than I am. Very successful auctioneer. And people have often joked with me that if you weren't a pastor, you'd make a great auctioneer because you talk so fast. Like you could be one of those, you could be one of those guys or gals that do that. And I've known jo- Jordan for a number of different years. And um, a couple years after me going there pretty regularly, back when they were doing live in-person auctions, they do it all online now. But when they were doing live in-person auctions, I obviously knew what he did, but after we got to talking, he asked what I did, and we found out that, that both he and I are both, we're both Christians, we're both disciples. He, he goes to an awesome church in Lancaster, and he's married, and he has one little boy, three years old, um, you know, my, the age of my youngest, and, and so that's something that we started to bond over, not only our, you know, our enjoyment of auctions and all that goes with it, but, but our faith. This Friday, we, it was really slow and dead up there, and so we actually just had a, a chance to visit for just 30 or 45 minutes. And uh, one of the things that we were talking about, I said, you know, how did you, how did you figure out that being an auctioneer is what God designed you to do? Like, how do you end up, you know, like, how do you end up in this career? It's not necessarily something any of my friends, when we were talking about growing up, what do you want to be? I want to be an auctioneer. Like, how did you get into it? He said, well, you know, my family's been in this business my whole life. My granddad was an auctioneer. My dad was an auctioneer. And now I'm an auctioneer. My brother's an auctioneer. And then he said this, and I love this. This was his statement about work. He said, I just figure if God designs you to do a certain kind of work, it's a blessing when you can say, I love what I do. He said, if I'm going to do anything for 40 or 50 hours a week for 50 or 60 years of my life, wouldn't it be awesome if you could love it? And he said, really, I just love my work. What a blessing to be able to say, I love my work. I wonder if that would be true of you. When you think about the work that you do, whether it's professionally or as a parent or as a grandma or a granddad, the work that you do, I don't think any of us would say, I love everything that I do. And Jordan says, there's, you know, there's some things I don't love that I do when, when people don't pay for the items that they want in the auction or when there's an argument that breaks out over who paid what or who won. I don't like those things. I just love what I do. And I thought about that, and, and the truth is... When God puts a work in your heart to do, you can learn to love the work he gave you to do. And as disciples, we have work to do. Jesus started this out. Before he went to heaven, he huddled up with his disciples and he gave them what we call the great commission, right? He said, now I'm going to go to heaven. My work here is done, but I'm sending you. Now you go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples, baptize people in the name of Jesus. He teaches Here's your work. I'm handing off the work to you. And we 
who call Jesus our Lord and Savior, those of us who identify as Christians, we've made a decision to put our faith and our trust in Jesus. The Bible says we're disciples, and this church has a mission. We are all about being and making disciples of Jesus. That's our work. And a disciple of Jesus, among the spiritual things, a disciple of Jesus is somebody who's doing the work of a disciple. There is no such thing as a retired disciple. There's no such thing as a non-practicing disciple or a non-working disciple. All of us as, as disciples have work to do. And what is that work? That's what we concluded these last two weeks. The work of a disciple is to do this. We're supposed to live wisely among, among our community, among people who don't know Jesus. Live wisely. Build friendships and relationships. Do business. Be neighbors. Come together with people in your community who may have no faith background. Live wisely among believers, specifically getting into spiritual conversations that tell us where they are in their spiritual journey and how God can use us to help. That's the work of a disciple in incent. If I had to put it in a sentence, it's to live wisely among unbelievers and engage them in spiritual conversations where we can find out where they are spiritually on their spiritual journey, and what God can use, what God can do in our lives to draw them near Jesus. Last week we said everybody in the world, every man, woman, boy, and girl is on a spiritual journey. They're moving in one of two directions. They're either moving closer to Jesus, they're drawing closer to Jesus, or we're drifting away from Jesus. We're drawing or we're drifting. We're drawing closer or we're drifting away. And the question that we've been asking is, where are you personally? on that journey, are you drawing closer to Christ in your life? Are you drifting away? And then we're talking about how, when I'm getting into conversations with unbelievers, one of the things I need to be listening for is for for them to give me clues and cues for me to help understand where are they in their spiritual journey? And in what direction are they moving? And how can God use my relationship with them to draw them closer to Jesus? That's the work of a disciple, and today I want to get even more specific about what that looks like. And I'm going to bring us into a passage in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Quick question, who wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 3? Paul, very good. As we've said before, if we're going to ask you who wrote a New Testament book and, and the name is not in the book, guess Paul usually, okay? If it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, guess them. But Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament. This is a letter, it's an epistle. Paul wrote it. Now, it tells us who it wrote, wrote it to. It's Corinthians. Was he writing to just every Corinthian that lived in Greece at that time? No, he was writing to the church, the Christians. Now, most historians would tell us when you think about the Corinthian church, don't think about a group that met in a 12,000-square-foot building all at one time like we do today. Corinth had churches throughout the city in different houses. They were called house churches. And some of them might be as small as five or six people. And we know from archaeology that maybe the biggest meeting areas in a private home could have accommodated maybe 50 people. So Corinth probably had several different, we would call them small groups today, but they were really house churches. They were the, they were the church at Corinth, but they didn't all meet together at one time. There might have been a few hundred of them split up between 8, 10, 12 different houses. And every house had kind of like a, a little pastor of their house. So they were all united in what they believed in their causes, but... You can kind of understand if you had 10 different groups that never all met together at the same time, there could have been possibility that one group might come up with a strong opinion about something that another group didn't believe in. And so it made it very challenging to keep one group all moving in the same correct direction, doing the same work when you had them all meeting in 8, 10, 12 different 
little houses, but that was the reality. Churches didn't own property kind of back in this day, and that was, that was the way to go about things. So Paul got them started, launched the church, planted the church, strengthened the church, trained their leaders, trained their pastors, but because Paul was a missionary, he didn't want to stay in one place all the time. So there came a day when Paul said, it's time for me to move on to another part of the world and spread the message there. I leave you in the good hands of your local leaders. One of their leaders went by the name of Apollos. Well, from time to time, the Corinthian church would write letters to Paul. They couldn't send emails, but they'd write him letters and be like, Paul, we need some advice here. We've got the following problems going on. So they'd write a letter. They'd give it to a messenger. The messenger would sail or walk or ride a horse somewhere, find Paul, give him the letter. He'd read the letter, think, oh my goodness, there's some problems. Let me give them some advice and some guidance. He'd write the letter or have his amanuensis, the guy who wrote things down for him, write down the letter, send it the whole way back through the channel. So sometimes between the time the letter was written until they got an answer, it could have been months. Well, Paul obviously heard from the Corinthians that there were some problems going on in their church. And 1 Corinthians is one of, but not the only letters he wrote in response to them to try and keep them on the right track. And one of the problems that they had was they had some divisions about who was the most important leader in the church. And here's his response. And he starts off this way. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. After all, who is Apollos? Now, if he, if he had Twitter back in the day, and this was another guy on his staff, and he just tweeted, hey, after all, who, is, who, does, who does Keith Dixon think he is? Hashtag slammed, right? No, no, I mean, you know, who, who does Keith Dixon, well, that would sound very rude and divisive and incendiary, but he continues his tweet. And who is Paul? He's talking about himself. Here's what he's saying. Who are we at the end of the day? You all are... You all are having arguments about who should be in the most power in your church based on who your favorite pastor is. Well, you like Joel Osteen, and you like Eddie Long, and you like Tim Keller, and you like this one, and you, you, know, and you like Phil Nauer, so you should be waiting. No, I'm just kidding. You know, you, and you're arguing about who should be the, you know, who, who really is the best, best Christian, who has the most solid doctrine based on who your teacher is. And he says, at the end of the day, who's Joel Osteen? Who's Phil Nauer? Who's Tim Keller? We are only God's servants. Through whom, through whom you believed the good news. Each of us did the what? Work. Do you get this? Way, this is not a new idea from Phil or Echo. Way back in the day, Paul says, I realize as a disciple of Jesus, God has given Paul work to do. Paul gave Apollos work to do. And he says, all we are at the end of the day, it's not about us and getting the spotlight. All we are are servants through whom you believed God, we did the work God gave us to do. Question for you. Do you have any idea what work he has given you personally to do? What work has given God given you to do? And are you doing it? Just questions to think about. If you're a disciple, God's given you work to do. Now, some of the work that we do all falls in the same category, but he's also given things very, very, he's given us general things to do and specific personal things to do. Do you know what general things God has given you to do, that's what we're helping you with. One of the general things you're supposed to be doing is living wisely among unbelievers. So if you live a very secluded life where you're not building relationships with anybody outside of your faith, there's a challenge for you. If you are living among unbelievers, you need to be living wisely among unbelievers, not recklessly and foolishly among unbelievers. And if you're living wisely among unbelievers, you should be engaging people in specific conversations where you're learning about what's going on in their life spiritually so you can figure out how does God want to use me to draw them closer to Jesus. That's the general work we all do. 
But Paul had specific work. God called Paul to be a missionary. God called Paul to be a church planter. God called Paul to have a voice to politicians and kings and governments. God gave Paul a different platform than he gives me and a different platform than he gives you. But at the end of the day, the Bible tells God has given us all talents. God has given us all resources. Not all of them are the same, but we're accountable to be faithful to do the specific work he gave you, even if it's not the same as he gave somebody else. That's a whole other message that comes next week, so we'll leave that there. He says, I planted the seeds in your heart. That was my job. My job was to be the first one in. You didn't have Bibles in Greece. Jesus died maybe 40 years ago, and maybe that news, because we don't have mass media yet, maybe that was a good thing. They don't, they didn't have mass, many of them didn't even know of a Jesus. They had their gods. They had their systems. Paul says, for a lot of you, I was the first one in to share with you about the truth of Jesus. But what he's also saying is that the first one in didn't get all of them to a point of saying yes to Jesus. He says, then God sent Apollos along. He watered the seed that I planted in your heart. But it was God who made it grow. Paul planted, Apollos watered. Who made it grow? This is so important for you to understand as a believer. So important for you to understand. In this whole process of someone going from an unbeliever to being a believer in Jesus, as they're drawing closer to Jesus, as they're moving, as they're moving towards Christ, there's a part God says human beings play, and there's a part that only God takes responsibility for. And he says, human beings, we plant and we water. Now, we don't use those words anymore. I'm going to give you some different words. We don't think about planting and watering. You know, if you tell your friend, I've been, I've been praying for years and now I'm watering you, they'd be like, you're very weird. I'm going to give you some different words today that are easy to remember. Three words, they rhyme, it'll stick with you the rest of your life, an approach you can use to put this into practice. But God's saying, I alone have the responsibility for making it grow. Here's a beautiful thing, God bookends this process. If we thought of ourselves as farmers, some of you, are, some of you are, may have actually been a farmer, I am not. But God says, listen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to provide seed for all of you. You don't have to go out and invent seed. I'll give it to you. If I told you to go home today and invent a corn seed, good luck. I think maybe John W. could figure it out, but no one else could figure it out, right? He said, I'll give you seed. And you can leave that seed in a packet for 30 years and it will not grow corn. But you put that thing in the ground, something happens. I'm going to give you seed. You plant it, you water it. You plant it, you water it. You plant, you water it. Well, what happens scientifically when the seed, what mixture of water and soil and sun and other things make it grow? God says, my department. Here's where this comes in our life as Christians. Many of us, especially if we would consider ourselves maybe advanced Christians or veteran Christians, my terms, not the Bible's terms, we are really excited about when it comes to things in the Bible, we get really excited about the growth when a person says yes to Jesus. That's the thing we talk about. That is success. How many people got saved when they said yes to Jesus? The person, you know, how, how are we growing our church? New salvation, life, the growth that happens. And we look down on any type of planting or watering that does not produce this. And we say that's wasted time and wasted effort. Why do we spend five, six, seven, eight thousand dollars a year doing things like movies in the park. Pastor, that makes no sense. You're not inviting people to be saved. There's no gospel being preached. Why are we doing that? Because it's planting and watering. It's planting 
and watering. It's planting and watering. And who are we to say that that's wasted effort? When God says, I've given some people the work of planting and some people the work of watering. The words I'll give you today are prayer, care, and share. I've called you to pray. I've called you to care. I've called you to share with unbelievers. But when it comes down to them saying yes or no to Jesus, that is only possible through the sacrifice Jesus has made and the faith of that individual. He's not asking us to do the work of dying on the cross and saving them. He's done that. That's the seed. He's saying, but you have to plant and water. You have to tell people. It was a policy water, but God made it grow. Let's continue on. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose. I wish I could teach on that. I don't have time. This next sentence is huge. And both will be rewarded. Both the one who plants, the one who waters. The one who prays and cares and shares. The one who prays and cares and shares with the lost. Both will be, what's that next word? Oh, you did so much better than 9 a.m. service. Uh, Both will be rewarded. Do you understand your God is a rewarder? He's He's not like this taker away. God wants to reward you. He tells you he rewards you. He tells you on what basis he rewards you. Do you understand that anybody who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder? We have a God who rewards us on what basis, on how many souls, on how big your church is, on how much you gave? No. What basis does God decide how you get rewarded? Your own what? Hard work. You understand God rewards those who will plant and water. Not for the results, but for their effort. It's our big idea. Let me show you this. Let me show you this big idea. The big idea is that God rewards his workers for their efforts, not their results. Can we put that on the screen? God rewards Okay, I'll just give it to you. God rewards his workers for their efforts, not their results. There it is. God rewards his workers for their efforts, not their results. This is going to mess with some of you because you're saying, well, what are the results we're talking about? We're talking about people saying yes to Jesus, people becoming saved, people becoming Christians. Pastor, are you saying that that's not important? Heavens, no. Is there anything more important than saying yes to Jesus? There's nothing in life more important. The Bible says God does not want anybody to say no. God doesn't want anybody to perish. He's not willing willing to give up on any soul. Here's the reality, though. Not everybody will say yes to Jesus. But you know what? Every man, woman, boy, and girl deserves the right to say yes or no to Jesus. And who are you and I to decide who gets that opportunity? We don't write people off. But God knows planting and watering, praying for lost people in your life that won't even talk to you about Jesus. Caring for people that don't even appreciate the care you give them. God knows that the effort of being a planter and a waterer, a prayer, a carer, and a sharer, God knows that effort sometimes, it's draining and it's frustrating and it seems like you're making no progress, and it might even move you backwards, and it can be lonely, and it can be filled with years and years and years and years of absolutely no progress. 
And for most of us, with everything else in life, if you start working hard on something and you don't see results, we give up. How many diets have you quit because you didn't lose 25 pounds in two days? Who wants to diet if there's no results? Who wants to go on the treadmill an hour every day and gain 72 pounds? You know why we don't do that? Because those are not the results we want. If we don't get the results, we quit. Most of life, most of our jobs don't pay us on effort. They pay us on results. And it makes us hardwired to say, if I don't see a good result at the end of this, the effort's not worth it. Some of you know I, for a very short period of my life, was involved in a sales career. Let me tell you right now, sales does not pay you on effort. It pays you on results. I used to sell cars. And it was very hard because I was a Christian and I was a car salesman. And what wasn't hard, I thought I was going to have to go in and be taught to lie. Never once. Here was the problem. I liked people and I wanted to get to know their story. And sometimes within two minutes of a conversation, the person starts off, listen, you know, I've been to seven different car dealerships today. Um, my credit's 490. Um, no one told me I can buy, but I'm here today because I was hoping maybe you could figure out a way. And right away, my training is send them on because they can't give us any money today. Don't waste any more time if it's not going to result in a sale. But me, this, I'm thinking, Here's an opportunity for me to sit down and Dave Ramsey somebody. Here's an opportunity for me to sit down. Well, let's go sit down and let's go over. We'd take their credit report and I'd take an hour. Be like, okay, you've taken out 30 credit cards. You've maxed them all out. You've never made a single payment. You have a habit of not paying people the money you owe them. No bank I know is going to say, you know what, let's give them more money. Let's get you on a path because if you want to buy a car and you're not going to pay cash for it, well, I mean, that was really their only option at that point. Was if you want to buy a car and not pay cash, but we need to, this is a character issue, not an issue with the bank or the dealership. And I'm, I'm ministering them and I'm helping them. And they'd walk out of there all excited with their plan. They'd go out the door. My manager would be like, get over here. <laughs> what were you doing with them for now? I was like, oh, Paul, man, we, I got them set up on a budget. I got them on a debt repayment plan. He says, we don't pay you to do that. We pay you to sell cars. While you were over there, this guy sold a car, that guy sold a car, and that lady sold a car. We don't pay you for your effort. We pay you for results. It's like that guy over there in the corner, Ronnie, he sold 30 cars this month. He's been here for four hours. It's like, that's not fair. It's like he's good at it. He just sets up appointments with people that he emails. They come, he figures out if they can buy, and if they can buy, he makes the appointment, sells a car, and then he spends the rest of his time out of the office. I was putting in a hundred times the effort as this guy with none of the results, and that looked bad in that occupation. But if you take that mentality into your Christian walk, you'll decide, well, I put a little effort in over here, and they didn't say yes to Jesus. It was all lost. That was no good. There's no reward for that. Let me move on to somebody else and write them off. The Bible says, no, 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 no. The growth is up to God. But God, this is a mouthful, God in his sovereignty has voluntarily linked himself to human cooperation. It's a whole message on free will and everything else um, and where we land on that. But God says, I could do it anyway, but I choose in my sovereignty because I can do anything that I want to include f humans' free will in this process because I can do that because I'm sovereign. Was he all free will or all sovereign? Yep. And we're part of that process to plant, to water. How can they call on somebody they've never heard in? How can they repent if they don't know any better? God has given us 
the content. You don't have to make the content. You don't have to go out and die for someone's sins. Already been done. You don't have to live a sinless life and be an innocent sacrifice. You don't have to do that. Jesus did it. All we have to do is bring the news. All we have to do is bring the truth. Pray, care, share. Let me make this very practical. Let me give you those three words. What is the specific effort God rewards? Your effort in three areas. Your prayers, how you care, and how you share. Prayer, care, share. Prayer, care, share. Get used to hearing those three words. As long as I'm your pastor, you will hear them so many times. Because when we talk about your work as a disciple, we're going to drill down. Who are you praying for that's lost? And are you praying for them on a daily basis? Who are you looking for opportunities to invest love and mercy and compassion and listening and understanding on a regular basis? And what opportunities have you had to have spiritual conversations with that person? Is there anyone in your life that's not saved that you're praying for them by name on a daily basis? This is where it begins. Prayer. Prayerfully select one. Pastor, I've got 40. More power to you. I'm lowering the ladder. One. Ask God to put a name or a face of somebody on your heart that you know that you have a relationship with. A friend, a coworker, a neighbor, a family member, a student in class with you, somebody on your team. Somebody that you don't know where they are spiritually. You either know they're not a Christian or you're not sure. Ask God to put that person on your heart. What does that mean? Like, he's gonna put, uh, he's, it's going to be a persistent, recurring thought that's not coming from you that won't, that won't diminish. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And you say, I will pray for that person every day. Here's the thing. If you're not praying every day now, you won't just start praying for an unbeliever. But if you're a disciple of Jesus, and I want to know which direction you're moving, and you say, I'm a disciple of Jesus, I'm a Christian, I don't feel like I'm going anywhere spiritually. Here's the two questions. Are you studying your Bible, and are you praying on a daily basis? Those two questions, if you're honest, tend to open up where the problem is right out of the gate. But I want to tell you something. Disciples pray. Disciples pray constantly. That's what we do. That's how we talk to God. We pray out loud and quietly. We pray with our voice and in silence. We pray in the morning, the afternoon, the evening. We pray up when we meet in the middle of the night. We pray at formal times and informal times. We pray in, pray in planned spaces and spontaneous spaces. We pray with our thoughts and with our words. We pray with our actions and with our seclusion. We pray constantly. But if I want to get to know what's really in your heart, show me a transcript of your prayers because the things that keep coming up are what's most important to you. The things you pray about the most are naturally the most important to you. You're not going to spend a lot of time praying over something that doesn't matter to you. You will spend a lot of time praying over what matters. That's not an indictment. That's who we are. And the reality of that is, for most of us, it might be our health. It might be our jobs. It might be our finances. It might be a relationship in our life. It might, who knows what it is. But if, if there's not the name of somebody in your life that's lost in that transcript, what it means is that Praying for lost people is not central to the life and the work you're currently doing for God, and that needs to change. We need to up that in your priority list. Well, pastor, be more specific. Perfect, I will. Um, pray God's word over them when you pray for them. When you're calling out Lane, or you're calling out John, or you're calling out Spencer, or you're calling out, uh, and I'm going through my list, I need to stop doing that. When you're calling these names out, pray Bible verses about lost people in your prayers. Why? Because God already said, here's how to pray. It takes the pressure off of you for the content. 
you can just start praying. Uh, one of my favorite ones is in Acts 26, 18. I pray this one over the lost people in my life. Lord, open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to you. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart in faith by you. Pray the word over them. Pray the Bible. Lord, you're not willing that anybody perish. Lord, open their eyes. Lord, draw them to you. Lord, show them the lostness of their ways. Lord, attract them to you. Pray the word over them. And then you know what else you do when you pray for the lost? Pray the word over you. Lord, I need to be more motivated and less afraid. Lord, help me to be less focused on my own needs and conversations so that I can be more listening. To them. Show me a humble person. I'll show someone when you talk to them, they will be very interested in what you have to say. That's how you tell who's humble. When you talk to them, are they interested in what you have to say or is it always about them? Or does the conversation always draw back to them? You pray the word over them, you pray the word over you. Well, well, well pastor, what's the point? You already told me God doesn't want anybody to perish. God wants everybody to be saved. Why are we asking God to do something that he already said he wants to do? That seems like a waste of time. It is not because it might not be about changing God because you're not going to do that. Your prayer might not even be about primarily about changing them because they have to cooperate in that. You know what prayer does? It changes your heart towards them. The things you pray about the most are the things most central to your heart. And when you start praying regularly about anything, you start looking in the arena of what you've prayed about to see where God's moving. For example, I'm praying for my friend Ed, who's sick, has a bad diagnosis. I pray every day. I pray multiple times a day. Every time he comes to my heart, I pray for Ed. And I pray for Ed, and I pray for Ed, and I pray for Ed. How do I see if that prayer is working? I hang on any update I get about how he's doing physically. Any bit of news. I look into that arena and I say, here is where I'm looking. I'm especially sensitive to look into that to see how is God moving. My eyes are tuned to it. My spiritual senses go up when I think about that topic. How would that translate if you spent similar amounts of time praying for that lost person in your life? Every single conversation you'd have with them, your senses would be much more open than they would be outside. You're going to be looking in that arena. How are they doing this week? What's going on in their life? That thing they talked about last week, did they have a breakthrough? Is there going to be an opportunity for me to share? You stop looking at that relationship casually and you start opening up your heart to say, I'm asking God to show up in this arena that I know he's already working in. So it's not so much God's doing a new work. He's opening my eyes and showing me into what he's already doing so I can be more sensitive. I'm out of breath. I need to take a breath. So I can be more sensitive to being his instrument in that place. We pray, we pray the word over them. Change, prayer changes me, prayer heightens my expectations. Second thing is care. I won't go deep into this because I'm gonna go, I'm gonna just take that one next week and give, next week I'm gonna give you the five capitals, the five different types of resource we all have to invest in people's lives to show them care. Every one of us has five different things going on in our life in different amounts and different capacities that we can use to show care to people. And I'll give that to you next week. Care simply means to consistently reach out to someone with love on a, re on a weekly basis. I put weekly in there. I would just say at every opportunity. And guess what? Two-thirds of our work doesn't have anything to do with conversations necessarily, does it? Two-thirds of the work we do is praying over that arena, over ourselves, over that person, and then saying, God, as I'm praying for them, God, will you give me clues and cues as to how I can care for them? And caring may look very different in different times 
and different situations, and it may come up at a time that you're not even fully expecting. When, when I think about this topic, um, you know, tomorrow we celebrate the, the Martin Luther King Day. We celebrate his life, his legacy, the things that he believed in, the causes that he fought for. I think it's awesome. We have a holiday after a pastor, which is awesome, who uh, really led us forward in a lot of areas very near and dear to our heart. And I, I often reflect on his quotes, especially around this time of the year. I have read a lot of his sermons. One of my favorite quotes of his has everything to do with this idea of caring. Here's what he says. Loves, or I'm sorry, life's most persistent and urgent question is this. What are you doing for others? Life's most persistent and urgent question, he says, is what are you doing for others? That's care. I'm pastor. I'm praying for this person. My question is, what are you doing for them? Pastor, I don't even know what to do for them. They have everything. They don't ask for much. Go back to step one. Then pray and ask God to open up an opportunity. It may come at a time you don't expect it. What are you doing for others? And when the opportunity opens up, let me tell you, it may not come at a time that's convenient for you. It may not be cheap, but it will open up. One of the people that I'm praying for runs a business in Perry Hall. Um, uh, It's a family business. It's the father and his adult son and his adult daughter. I went into the business one day just to make a quick purchase, and the adult daughter is in there. And when I walk through the door, she bursts into tears. Normally not a good sign that they're happy to see you. I was very, I'm not good around criers, uh, just not good at it. There's lots of people that could testify to that, not good in that moment. And I'm thinking, man, I, should I just walk out without purchasing anything? I'm not thinking spiritually at all. I get the couple little things that I need, a small purchase, like 10 bucks to put on the counter. And she's like, it's, it's not, she's crying in such a way that you can't even ignore it. It's like ugly crying, you know, and there's a lot of, you know, and I'm feeling bad. And so I say, I, mean, I say a very dumb boy thing to say, are, are you okay? <laughs> Obviously, she's not. <laughs> and she's like, I'm sorry. I know I need to have it together. It's just that. And then it all comes out. Her fiance, her finances, their, her hopes for engagement. And I just went in there to buy like $5 worth of cardboard supplies. And I'm standing there and I'm thinking, I've got to be back at the office. I got, but this person's on my list. And even through my thick-headedness and my focus, I'm like, she just needs someone to listen. And so I said, well, well, tell me what's going on. She's like, I don't want to bother you with it. I was like, you don't have to. I was like, but you can tell me what's going on. I'll listen. I don't know. I can fix it. And for the next 10 minutes, she just, very complicated, very deep, very, I had no real idea of where to go. But you know what? Um, at the end of the conversation, she said, I feel a little bit better. Thank you for listening. And, you know, that is an opportunity to show care for someone. When you're willing to delay your schedule by 10 minutes for someone who just needs someone to listen to, don't you think that's stuff that attracted people to Jesus? He's a great listener. And if I ever want an opportunity to share, and uh, maybe over the weeks to come, if I feel it's safe enough, I'll share some of the follow-up conversations of what God's doing in this entire family, the father, the son, and the daughter. It's, it's a remarkable thing he's doing. But I will tell you, it's not, sometimes doing something for others is not just about dropping off a bag of clothes on their porch. Maybe they don't need it. Might not be making a good meal. Maybe you shouldn't be cooking for anyone, okay? Uh, some of you should be cooking for people, and we thank you for that. But others of us, that, that wouldn't be ministry. But at the end of the day, what does God put in front of you? Sometimes it's your time and willing to be inconvenienced to demonstrate care to somebody you've been praying for and you want an opportunity to share with the third thing, prayer, care, 
share. This is what we talked about last week. We talked about conversations. Be prepared to start spiritual conversations and share the gospel with them. Now, I know some of us, we're all about the share part. We're like, forget prayer, forget care. I just, I remember one guy I was, uh, one guy that was in a circle of friends I had uh, not too many years ago. Uh, we were talking about this. He's like, look, I get in the, gro-, he's like, I got in the grocery store line this week. True story. I got in the grocery store line this week and I felt the Holy Spirit on me. I turned around the lady behind me. I didn't know her and I just said, are you going to heaven or hell? And she goes, uh, heaven, good. He turned around, he's like, so I did my deed for the day. Just like that, two fingers up in the air, number one, number one. And I'm just like, no. <laughs> this is not, at the. Yeah, I'm dead serious. I am completely serious. I wish I were making that up. I'm not, it's very sadly true. But you also understand the value of us as a church saying, let's talk about this in some detail. Because in his mind, in all seriousness, he's like, I succeeded. This is what it's about. No prayer, no care, just ultimatum and share. Now, to be fair, I'm sure there are people that have been on the other side of that conversation and God redeemed it somehow and they found their way into relationship with Jesus. I'm not saying it never happens that way. But what I'm teaching you is that sharing, independent of praying and caring, ends up like that. But prayer and care independent of sharing doesn't move that. It leads you in silence, and it's not going to get them into a relationship with Jesus. How can they call on someone they haven't heard about? Let me give you another one of Dr. King's quotes. In the end, we will not remember the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Now, the context of that was about something different. But I don't want to stand at the judgment and have people in my life that I care about, that I prayed for and I cared for, but I never shared with say to me, why didn't you tell me? Why were you silent about this? What am I gonna say? Well, I was afraid you'd get mad at me. I was afraid I might not know what to say. I was afraid you might not wanna have friendship with me anymore. And so I wanted to protect that rather than tell you, I don't want my friends on judgment today to ask me, why were you silent? At the end of the day, we do have to prepare ourselves for these spiritual conversations, and that's what we're trying to do here at Echo, getting you ready to share those things with people around you. Sharing, uh, last week, I'll close with this story before I have Bob come up. Last week, you know, I preached a similar message, well, not, not this exact same message. We talked about conversations. This is what we talked about last week. And I preached two services, good enthusiasm. Everybody was pumped up and I had a board meeting right afterwards, good board meeting. I got home about three o'clock last Sunday afternoon and I was tired at that point. I hadn't eaten lunch. I was hangry, if I can be honest. I was hungry and angry. I just wanted to get out of the car, gather all my things and get from my car inside and stuff food into my face without chewing. That's what I wanted to do. I will never say that out loud again sometimes. The, I know I need to work on the thing that shuts down my thoughts before it comes out my mouth. Okay. Um, Sorry. You can, my wife tries. She tries. It's not her fault. I could just tell as soon as I said it, I didn't even have to look. I just knew. I just knew. Sorry. At least this is not being streamed live. No one heard it. Um, It is being streamed live. Okay. Um, There was something redeemable about this story. Oh, yeah. Got out of the car, just wanted to go inside and, and very carefully with good table manners, eat very slowly, chew everything thoroughly. And as I'm getting out of my car, my neighbor is underneath his car or somebody else's car pulling the transmission out of a BMW because that's just what he does. That, that's his downtime activity. I have conversations with auctioneers. He replaces transmissions in cars. And I'm just, you know, 
He's busy taking a transmission out, not time for casual conversation, man code. Um, but I, I, turn, I turn to walk inside, and he goes, hey, Phil. He calls over the fence. And I'm like, he just called out to me. He knows me well enough that this is not about asking if I can help him. He knows better than that. Um, I say, yeah, what's up, Spencer? He goes, hey, I've been meaning to ask you, how's your new church going? And I'm like, wait a minute. Okay, I just preached this message, right? And I'm off now. Pastor's done. Punch the clock. Go home. I'm walking inside, and he, while he's working on the transmission, 99 times out of 100, he's not even going to talk to me in this moment. Hey, how's church going? Why in the world at 3 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon when he's pulling a transmission out of a car and he sees me getting out of my car, straggling inside, does the thought of church hit his heart? But fortunately, sometimes God is so blatantly obvious, and even I'm like, okay, and I just turn right around, I carry all my stuff over there, and I stand there at the fence, and for about 10 minutes, we just talk about the church. It did not end in Romans. It did not end there. I didn't, that, the opportunity started closing down. I was holding all this stuff, and now when I think back on it, the stuff didn't even, I don't even remember it being heavy at the time. But I knew it was an opportunity for me to care and to share a little bit. I didn't get the whole way there, but we, I talked about the goodness of God. He said, man, I just think it's very unusual for a church. You know, I was like, he's, he's really financially savvy, and I just talked about He's like, you know, a lot of churches are hurting. How are you guys doing? I was like, well, you wouldn't believe it, but I mean, our giving's up like 2% over before it was pre-COVID. He's like, that's crazy. I was like, yeah, it is. I was like, but our people just, I mean, they love Jesus, and as he provides for them, they provide for the church. And he's like, and so he, it's starting to, like, his mind is like, there's something very unusual about that from the way that I live, but it's attractive, and I'm curious, and God's doing all this stuff. I'm just telling you, it wasn't at a time that was convenient for me. It wasn't at a time that I felt like being Pastor Phil. He wasn't even, it wasn't even as Pastor Phil. I wanted to go in and have something to eat, man. But he was more hungry than I was, right? I'm just telling you. Probably if I hadn't been thinking and really praying for him, he's on, I carry a little card in my, my wallet that I've, I've updated this over the years with the names of the people on it that I'm praying for with a little arrow with my little map of their journey where I think that they are and with the three scriptures that I pray over their life and I carry it around in my wallet. I don't have time to tell you about the other three guys today, but I just want to encourage you. God will repurpose every mundane errand and moment and even trip from your car to your front door if you're listening. My job is to equip you to open up your ears and your heart to volunteer and say, I will pray for, care for, and share with the one or the two or the ten. I will go to work for the Lord. I will do the work and the effort of praying. I will do the work and the effort of sharing. I will do the work and the effort of caring. And I trust that at the end of the day, God will work all those things together for his good. And God will work all those things together for growth. And God will reward me for my effort. Even if I'm not the one to, because ultimately you don't usually know how someone's stories end. You might plant and water and plant and water, and you might not be the one to get to give the increase. You might not be the one to pray them to faith. You might not even know if that ever happened. Does that mean you shouldn't plant or water? How do you know what God's going to do with the rest of that person's story? Your job and my job is to be faithful in those arenas, to live wisely among unbelievers, engage them in, co in conversations that are spiritual. Before Bob comes up, let me pray over you. I think the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us today. Can we just pause for a moment with everybody being quiet? In fact, Bob, you can come on up here because we'll, we'll get ready to talk here in just a moment. With everybody just being quiet. Holy Spirit, right now, will you drop the name or the face of somebody into each of our hearts today? Somebody that we know? 
somebody that we know that we're unsure of where they are spiritually today. We either know they're not in a relationship with you or we're not sure. Will you drop that name, that face in our hearts right now? For some of you, God's reminding you of a name you've already been calling out to him. Awesome. Then let him bold face and highlight that for you today. Kids, you do this too. Students do this with me too. Just ask God, God, will you put the name of the face of somebody, one of my friends, somebody on one of my teams, somebody I hang out with or somebody in my family that might not be a Christian. Will you, will you put one of their names in my mind right now? Put one of their faces on my heart. And probably for most of us, that's happened already in these few moments. This is just a simple exercise. This is how God talks to us. A lot of times it's just through impressions in our thoughts and our minds that are very clear, but they come from God. I want you to just thank God right now for putting that person there. I have a lot of names on my list. I'm praying for all of them, but there's one right now that's especially kind of highlighted. And it's not like I ignore the others, but there's one that I really am focusing on. My question for you is right now, will you commit in this moment to praying for that person every day, starting today? Will you pray for them every day? Will you ask God to provide clues and cues for you to know how to care for them? And will you ready yourself when he opens the opportunity to share with them about spiritual things? Heavenly Father, You've put these people on our hearts. This is the work you've called for us to do. We thank you for that. Thank you for speaking to us today. And I pray now for your Holy Spirit who you've sent to us to give us the power to be able to to tell your story, to be able to share with people, to be able to listen with new ears and speak with your voice. I pray for that power of the Holy Spirit to rise up inside of every man, woman, boy, girl, student in this room right now that our hearts as a church would beat to become a soul-winning church and that we would not look down on the effort of praying and caring and sharing, that we would purpose those things and that you would open our minds and our hearts to be sensitive, both in times of our convenience, but especially in times of our inconvenience, to be ready, willing, and able to step in and work alongside you in the cosmic story you're already writing in the lives of your people, to be able to use our life somehow to draw them one step closer to you, Jesus. In your mighty name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Echo Community Church Podcast. If today's message impacted you, or you want to talk about one of the topics we discussed today, email us at info at echochurchmd.com. We would love to connect with you online. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube by searching our church name, Echo Community Church. Send a message or leave a comment to at Echo Community Church and let's continue the conversation. And if you live locally in Baltimore County, Maryland, we invite you to our Sunday worship experience. You can find out more on our website at echochurchonline.com.